0: You are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. This week, we are continuing our study on the life of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. Grab your Bible and get ready to dive into God's Word together. Good morning, Harvest. Good to see you. And good morning to the saints that's joining us online. we we'll give you a big air hug. Wish you could be here with us. Uh, But so good to be with you all this morning, and man, I've waited so long to see you all face-to-face just to say two words to you, and that's thank you. Thank you a lot. Um, Some of you might be new here, maybe you've only been here for like a year or a few years, but the reason why I say thank you is, um, as you heard from uh, Pastor Moody, I used to be on staff at the cathedral downtown while I was studying at Moody, and our heart was to go to New York and go to the city and, and see God plant a church, but God said, no, you need to stay here in Chicago. And so we were sent out um, by Harvest Bible Chapel with about 25 people and men and women who were in this room in the Christmas of 2015 took up an offering for us so we can have our first year budget to go out and plant a church on the west side of Chicago in the Austin neighborhood. And uh, I heard like two of y'all clap. Thank you. It's all good. It's all good. I mean, this is what y'all did, so thank you. And uh, God has been so kind. And so maybe you're new here, and you're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you've been here for a while, and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know. Um, but, man, I could tell you so many stories of how God is making an impact on the West Side with families in the community, guys that were in gangs, people who were battling different struggles, working with the police officers that served the community, so much good stuff that just doesn't make the news. Um, but we were sent out not just by Harvest, but particularly by Rolling Meadows, And so, I just want to be able to say thank you personally, and I know many in our church would be roaring and cheering to say, tell our siblings we said thank you. So, (laughs) you you ever want to visit your family in Christ down on the west side, you're always welcome. Yeah. Also, quickly want to say thank you for your prayers. I always get a text message just randomly um, from Pastor John Smith, and he'll just be like, hey, we're praying for you this morning. How can we pray for you? And... He's the only pastor that I know of that does that in Chicago. And I think that's so great when we as the church can be praying for one another on Sunday. We forget that we're on the same team and we all have the same pastor. His name's Jesus. We're just in different locations. And so that blesses my soul. And I just want to say thank you that you pray for us. And we try to do the same on Sunday of not just praying that God would bless the service we're in, but God, would you bless the church all throughout the world? Chicago land, like, we need to be united. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, enough about me. I want to spend our time in God's Word. And so you have a copy of God's Word. You can meet me in 1 Kings 19. I know you have been in this series on Elijah, which I think is very good and very needed, especially for our day and time. As you turn there, I just want to read to you um, just some statistics that I came across this week. I really think it'll help um, set the tone for kind of what we'll be talking about. Listen to this. According to uh, the Mental Health Foundation, as of this week, 44.8%, that's about almost 45% of U.S. adults who are 18 and older. So if you're 18 and up in the U.S., from their poll, about 45% of them, uh, uh, adults 18 and older, have received mental health services in the previous 12 months. So according to their research almost 45% of the country has sought to get a counselor for some mental health illness in the last 12 months. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, as of June last month, um, there were about 364,000 workers who, cag- who uh, categorized themselves as discouraged. Think about that, 600, I mean, 364,000 men and women, and when they are asked, how do you feel right now, Um, at work and in life, their response is discouraged. Harvard Youth Poll did a recent poll about 2,500 Americans between the ages of 18 and 19, so these are young, young adults, and they found that 51% of young Americans said that they have felt down, depressed, and hopeless for at least several days in the last two weeks. That's crazy. 51% between the ages of 18 and 29 has said, I have felt down, depressed, and hopeless for several several days within the last two weeks. So these are the statistics I just got this week and researched, and these were done before the, before the gas prices went up. <laughs> I can't even imagine the discouragement everybody feels now just going in a pump. I know we've been living at Costco My wife was like, no, I'm going to Costco. We're going to get, you know, it's going to be gas. It's going to be cheaper there. But here's the thing. I don't know where you are, but maybe you're here this morning and you are discouraged. What these statistics show us is at least almost half the country, if they're being honest, would say, at least half the adults in the country of America would say, I'm discouraged, I'm depressed, and I'm weary. If you want to really know how I feel, that's how I feel. That's what most people would say. At your job, on your streets, you can't tell because they're smiling. Everybody looks great, right? You go drop your kids off at school or camp. Everybody's smiling. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Well, you're great every time I say, how are you doing? Everything's always great. I know you're not always great. People just don't tell the truth. I'm not naive to not think that up and down these rows, there aren't men and women who are sitting here and you're like, man, this is one of the most discouraging seasons of my life. Maybe you're sitting here and this is the week coming up where you're supposed to finally sign the divorce papers. You're not enthusiastic about that, but your marriage is just in a really hard place. Truth be told, you didn't feel like coming today, you didn't feel like watching online, but you're discouraged. Maybe you're sitting here and there's health issues, and it is wearing you down. I don't know. Maybe it's a tough financial season. It's just hard. works hard. You're working harder, more hours, less pay, and you feel discouraged. Maybe you're here, and you're a parent, and the kids are just wearing you out. It's summertime, they're out of school. And the house is loud, it's chaotic, and it's just very discouraging. And you just can't get a break for nothing. Well, the question we have to answer this morning is how does God respond to his people when they are discouraged? The title of this morning's message is God's Response to Discourage. And I want to pray for you right now because I don't want this to be another Sunday. I really want to pray that God would meet you wherever you are and that you would not leave here discouraged but encouraged today. So can I just pray for us right now? Just bow your heads right where you are if you're online. It's a sign of humility before God, not me. God, we come to you um, as your people. And God, I know there are many in this room and many online who are weary. Um, They're watching the news. It's discouraging. They're getting emails and phone calls just with the the grind of life. It's discouraging. They're seeing their kids who seem to go farther and farther away from the Lord. It's discouraging. Physically, they're exhausted. It's discouraging. God, would you show us this morning how you minister to us, even in the midst of our discouragement? Would you fill us afresh with your presence? And would you open our eyes this morning to see from your word that the same God we are reading about in this text with Elijah is the same God we just sung to? Same God who loves us and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So would you bless this time. May it, may it be holy and may your words land on every heart here with healing, hope, and encouragement. All of God's children say, amen. Amen. So what we're examining is how... Does God respond to our discouragement? We're in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to get through 18 verses. We're looking at verses 1 through 18, and there's three ways that we see God show up in the life of Elijah, who's severely discouraged this morning, and he ministers to him. Here's the first thing if you're taking taking notes. How does God respond to our discouragement? First, he sustains us. He sustains us. Where do you get that from? Well, look with me beginning in verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV translation. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and he came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there were at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, Horeb, the mount of God. Man, there's so much there. Let's just start in the first three verses, right? You look in verse 1, and it says that Ahab, the king of Israel, um, you know who Ahab is. We've, you've been studying, and he's the wicked king of Israel. He's married to Jezebel. She's the queen. So you got wicked king, wicked queen. Um, you know the story, the backdrop. Elijah has just killed all the false prophets and the false leaders. And Jezebel, she's vicious. She's like, I hate you, and by this week, next time, God is going to do something to me if I don't take your life. That's the email he woke up to. (laughs) Hey, we're all looking for you. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed by a situation that there is, it just seems no way out, no way that victory can come out of this? You got laid off, there's no money in the account, you're looking at your bank account, you're like, man, I don't know how we're going to make it in two weeks. You got the test results, the doctor's like, well, we don't know if there's anything we could do, and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it to my kid's graduation. Like, you ever been in a situation where you felt so overwhelmed? That's how he feels. Notice what it says, how he feels in verse 3. Look again. Verse 3, look at the three things. Then he was, this is Elijah, he was afraid. He arose, so he got up. He wasn't sitting still, and he ran for his life. Think of those three things. Those three things describes how this brother feels. How do you feel? I am afraid. It says he got up and arose, so there's no waiting on the Lord for me. Not waiting on the Lord. I'm out. I don't want Jezebel to kill me. And it says, and he's running for his life. That means I, I can't really trust God right now. I got to take matters into my own hands. He's running. Let me ask you a question. What are you running from today? Or what is it that you want to run from this morning? You're like, man, I wish I could run, but it's almost impossible to run. Not in this situation where I'm going to go. Maybe life right now does not look like what you thought it would look like. 20 years ago, when you thought about what you would be doing right now, you're like, man, this is miserable. Where am I going to run from? So Elijah, we find out in verses 3 and 4 that he arises, he runs for his life. And then it says here in verse 3 that he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he leaves his servant there. So he's on his way to Horeb. Um, Horeb, just so you know, is the place where Moses and Israel received the law. It's Mount Sinai. Horeb's another term for it. It's where uh, God's presence was at. It's where everything started. And so Elijah's thinking to himself, man, I need to get to God's presence. And he's willing to leave from Beersheba and go all the way to Horeb. Horeb is 200 miles, my brothers and sisters. This is before Uber. This is before airplanes. This is before, like, you, you know, your uncle giving you a ride. This is before catching the metro. Like, brother's about to take a 200-mile trip because he's so eager to see and get to God's presence. He's so discouraged, and his number one heart is, I need to get to God. And he makes this pit stop in Beersheba where he drops off his servant, and then he goes on. He says, listen, I'm all about being in community and doing life together, but I need to go be alone with the Lord for myself. I need to go away and be with him. Let me ask you a question this morning. When was the last time you truly got along with God? Eliza's going on what's known as a spiritual retreat. He's like, man, I'm going to Horeb. I'm getting away from everybody. I'm going to the mountain. I'm going to meet with God there because I have some heavy burdens. When was the last time you truly pulled away? I'm not talking about going to church on Sunday, going to small group. I'm talking about where the same way you carved out time to meet with someone for lunch or go to a, a bridal shower or a baby shower or a birthday party. Man, I made time, and next Saturday morning— from eight in the morning to one p.m., I'm gonna grab my Bible, my notepad. I'm gonna go walk by some pond and some lake, and I'm gonna go be alone with God. When was the last time you had a spiritual retreat like that, man? What would what would your life look like if you pulled away like that and really said, "God, I'm pulling away to seek Your face"? So Elijah pulls away. He ministers. He reaches out to. Uh, he, he he reaches out to um, the Lord. He gets to. Uh, Beresheba here, he drops off his servant, and then he starts in verse 4, he starts his journey uh, into the wilderness to meet with God. And he finally meets with the Lord, and the Lord shows up. Here we are in verse 4. He covered those whole 200 miles. And it says here that he sat under a broom tree in verse 4, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I don't know how you feel about what Elijah just said, but I'm glad the brother's honest. He's just said to God in prayer, Lord, I don't feel like living right now. Just take my life away. That's what he says in verse 4. He asked that he might die. You know, so often as Christians, we don't really feel like we can really bring our pain to God. It's not like he doesn't know how you really, you really, he doesn't know how you really feel anyway. He knows. Tell him how you feel. Tell him your frustrations. Tell him your disappointments. It's not like he he can't see it. He doesn't know your heart and mind. He knows. And Elijah is honest. So he's running for his life. He's afraid. He's sharing his pain. And what does God do in response to this? Look in verse 5. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. This brother is weary. He's depleted. He's burned out. And God shows up and begins sustaining him. Cooks him a meal. Sends an angel. Give him something to eat. I want to give him strength. Well, aren't you going to? are you going to like end this problem with Jezebel right now? That's that's what's burning him out. He's burnt out with the situation. Yeah, I'm gonna take care of that later. But right now, I want to give him strength. This is powerful what it tells us is just because you can't see God at work in one area of your life doesn't mean that he isn't working in all areas. It'd be so easy for Elijah to be like, well, my problem right now is Jezebel. Are you going to answer this prayer or what? God is like, we'll get to that later. Right now, I want to feed you. It is so easy to look at over here that we need God to answer and miss how he's moving in other areas. And Christians be like, well, the Lord is it. Where's the Lord at? I don't see how God's at work. He didn't provide yet. He didn't, he didn't come through yet. He hasn't saved my son yet. My son has seemed like he's going farther and farther away. I'm like, well, the same God who's keeping the food in the fridge, who's keeping your heart beating right now, the same God who, I mean, you got a car to get to work, the same God who's taking care of you in other areas. Don't, don't, don't talk to yourself and preach to yourself and say, well, God isn't moving because of this over here. John Piper, the well-known author and former pastor, says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. Elijah's situation hasn't changed. Jezebel is still looking for him. So his situation hasn't changed, but neither has God's love for him. He's running. God goes right after him and says, let me give you something to eat. Gives him strength. Maybe you're here this morning and you're waiting on God to answer you and to deliver you in one area and you're completely missing all the great things that God is doing in another area. I truly believe that's why Scripture tells us to just not when we pray, to also pray with thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm going to bring my burdens to you. Yeah, I'm going to bring what my needs are, God, but I'm also going to pray with thanksgiving because thanksgiving helps me to not be forgetful. God, and I thank you for the way that you've done this and I thank you for the way that that you've done that. Has your prayers been dripped with thanksgiving lately? God's response to discourage, how does God respond to our discouragement? First is by sustaining us. But here's the second thing, He speaks to us as well. So here we are in verse nine. It says this in verse nine. it says, "There came, then there came, then he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, "This is God speaking." What are you doing here, Elijah? This is Elijah now, verse 10. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Verse 11. And he said, Go out, this is God speaking, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains, And broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, again, I have been very jealous for the Lord. The God of hosts, for the people of Israel forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life. I love this here. Elijah gets to the cave, and notice who initiates the conversation. God does. He shows up. God starts talking to him. You find in verse 9, it says, And there he came to the cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing, Elijah? What are you doing here? And so he shows up, and God begins talking to him, and God asks him a question. Now, I love this here because this one question that God chooses to ask, it tells us a lot. In fact, it's the only reply, the only words that God gives to Elijah in this section. He'll go on and say more, but in this section, God only has one question. No matter what you say to me, Elijah, what's going on, I have one question. And God didn't say the question isn't, well, why do you feel that way? Why are you crying like that? What's the reason for all the tears? No, he didn't didn't ask that. Here's the question. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's the question. What are you doing here? When you pray... Is there enough room in your prayers for God to actually speak to you? You know, Christians, when we pray, we just treat everything like a laundry list that God just we need to hand to him, that God is supposed to just take and just go do for us. So often we don't say, God, would you speak to me through your word? God, when I go and meet with you this weekend, On this, this, this Saturday morning, I'm going to spend some time. God, I really, I'm going to go sit down by the lake. I'm going to grab my word. God, I got too much going on in my life right now. I need clarity. I need you to speak to me. Is there room in your prayer life for that? It is for Elijah. God shows up right here. You know, so often people say, God doesn't answer my prayers. I say, well, are you listening to his voice? Have you truly asked God if, if he wants you to have that job? If he wants you to have that house? Sometimes when God speaks to us, he speaks with a question. And his question for Elijah is, what are you doing here, 200 miles away from where I've told you to go? You see, God understands Elijah's fears. He doesn't have any problem with that. God understands Elijah's concerns. He understands that Elijah is exhausted and burnt out. But God also remembers that he has called Elijah to speak his word in Israel. And I never told you to leave there. I get that it's hard, but why are you out of position now over here where I am? You know, the physical and emotional strains of life can leave us genuinely fatigued and depressed. God is sympathetic to all these things, but yet he asks Elijah, why are you not where I told you to be? There is no reason for you to run. I think we're a lot like Elijah. So often, we're, it's, we're, we're easy to just, it's easy to quit. Too often, it's, it's, it's too easy for us to just give up and run at the first sign of danger or difficulty. Anybody here like that? You don't want to raise your hands, like three of you? Right? But, you know, you're like, man, I've always been that way. I don't know why. It's like, man, as soon as something gets hard or difficult, I just want to quit. You know, we're working on that with our two youngest sons, especially with our youngest son, Judah, who's about six and a half. Judah loves sports. He loves basketball, football. I mean, this dude sleeps, he literally sleeps with his football gloves on. And he tried to do it with a helmet, and I was like, not at all, dude. Um, But the problem that that he has at a young age is um, whenever something's difficult or he loses, he wants to quit. So he loses the game, quit. He don't want to play football anymore. We're asking him to do something, and it actually means you actually have to practice, Judah, to get better. You're going to fall. He struggles. He wants to give up. Now, would I be loving as a parent if I said, well, every time Judah wants to quit, I'm just going to let him do it? No. Right? So I'm trying to help him grow this muscle. But here's the thing. We're the same way. Same thing as adults. Your job gets hard. Your work gets hard. I'm quitting. Classes get tough. And you know God told you to go back and get your master's. And classes got a little bit tough. You, for, you, didn't, you didn't put the schedule right together. Now I'm quitting. Marriage got difficult is not what you thought when you took your vows and you realize you actually have to work on your own heart and you have to try to love your spouse well and work through all the tension. Now you want to quit. God's called you to step out on faith and start your own business or start this non-for-profit that you've always thought about and you stepped out and you thought, well, everything was just going to happen like that and it got difficult, now you're ready to quit. Man, I'm going to go back to the marketplace. I don't know if God really said for me to do this. You see God's problem is not with Elijah's feelings. It's not with how he feels right now. God understands that. God's concern is with Elijah's location. My question to you this morning, are you where God wants you to be doing what God wants you to do? That's a legit question. Or like Elijah, have you just run off? Life hits you dead on. You haven't really been in church like that. You ain't really been in small group like that. You stopped tithing. You don't really want to serve. You used to be very joyful. Now you just, it's like everybody's walking on eggshells around you. Is that you this morning? I love this here that God is pointing out the fact of Elijah saying, man, I understand your emotions. I understand everything that you're going through. But you don't need to quit and run every time things gets hard, and you don't have to travel 200 miles to get to my presence. I'm the same God who was with you in Israel. I get you burnt out, but don't leave your position. There's also something that we can learn here, not just about what God says to Elijah about his location, but there's something we can learn here just about hearing the voice of God in general. If you notice, look with me in verse 11. It says this, right? God told him to go out. And it says, and behold, the Lord passed by. Check this out. And a great and strong wind. Think about this. I want you to picture this. A great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rock before the Lord. Crazy wind gusts. We get that out here in Chicago, right? Crazy wind gusts. It's shaking. Rocks are tumbling down from the mountain. Notice what it says. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there's an earthquake. The mountain is shaking. Imagine if this room started shaking. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Imagine there's this large fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Where was the Lord? Listen to this. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. All these big things, wind blowing, earthquakes, fire. God's like, I'm not in that. Where are you, God? The small, quiet voice speaking in your ear to your heart. You know, we often look for God to speak to us in big ways and big signs. But sometimes God talks to us in the quiet places. Christians, we we tend to think, well, if we go to this big event or this big concert, well, there's this big event happening in state, and, and, you know, so-and-so is going to be speaking there and this worship team and Maverick City is going to be there and all these different things. Well, and we look to this big retreat and we expect, well, now God is going to speak to me because it's a big event. Or maybe there's a men's event or a women's event here at Harvest. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go, but you should go. But it's like, well, we're having a big women's event. We're having a big men's event. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go and God's going to speak to me. That's true. He will speak to you. But you don't always have to go to something big to hear his voice. You can just open his word and try to drown out. Man, if you just put your phone down, that's like 50% of the problem. If you could just put your phone on silent and say, God, help me not to be anxious. And be like, what did I miss? What did I miss? What did I miss? And focus on your voice. Maybe it could be that I would hear from him. God is regularly speaking to us, beloved. With a small and quiet voice. And when things are cluttered and loud, it could drown out his voice. Once we leave here, my wife and I and our kids, we have to take a road trip down to Louisville. And so the kids are in the back and they're gonna have their Kindles, and I'm gonna be probably listening to a podcast or something. But it's times when we're in the car together and the boys have their Kindles, we're on a road trip. And all the time, my wife, she'll get a phone call. Danielle will be on the phone or something like that. And at some point, she'll be like, All right, I need everybody to be quiet. I can't hear. Y'all ever been like that? (laughs) Right? the music is turned now, and everybody got to be quiet. Why is that? Right, because there's times when you're on the phone with someone. Right, you can hear. Have you ever been on the phone and maybe an ambulance is going by, or sirens are going, or you're in a party and it's loud, and you say, "Hey, hold on one second, let me step out. I can't, I can't hear you. Step out." Right. So it's not that the person isn't talking; it's that other things are drowning out their voice. That's often how it is with the Lord. It's not that He isn't talking to you; it's you're so consumed with what's going on at work. I got this birthday party. I got to go to my mom's thing. I got to go pick up my dad from the hospital. got to go take the car to the mechanic. We got to pick up the kids from camp. I got to go. It's like all these different things you got going on and your phone. is buzzing every five seconds with a text message and social media and all these different things. And they're drowning out the voice of God. So what's one thing that you could do this Sunday? Pray and say, Lord, would you help me to remove all the clutter? I need to hear your voice. There's too many voices talking right now. Are there too many things that are drowning out the voice of God in your life? And maybe they're legit things. It's work, it's family life, there's classes, there's so many events and things you got to do. I just want to encourage you that God is always speaking to you. The question is, are you listening for his voice? And are you willing to remove the distractions? God's response to discourage. God responds to our discouragement by sustaining us, by speaking to us. And here's the last thing, by sending us. What do you mean by that? Look with me at verse 15. So God has been asking Elijah, just notice the, the, the way it works here. Elijah says, I'm the only one left. Everybody has forsaken your laws. I'm stressed out. And then God's like, all right, why are you here? Then Elijah comes back. Well, everybody is like forsaking you. I'm the only one here. I'm the only one that's standing for you. And then he goes through the whole spew. And then God's like, Why are you here? And so they keep going back and forth. And now we get to whatever um, everything else that God is going to say to him, and then we find it in verse fifteen. In verse fifteen, it says this: And the Lord said to him, "Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be the king of Syria. Jehu, the king, uh, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel." And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword, Haziel, shall, uh, sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is powerful right here. I mean, look in verse 15. Elijah just says in verse 14, man, I'm the only one left. Just take take my life away. Let me go to glory. I'm done here. I'm burnt out. And look what God says in verse 15. Go return on your way to the wilderness. Go back. (laughs) He just went 200 miles to go meet with God. And God says to him, okay, now go back. I mean, do you really want to hear what God has to say sometimes? <laughs> I mean, he just said he doesn't feel like living. He's burnt out. He's exhausted. God wants to know, why are you here? And the first thing God's going to say, you need to go back. He sends him back out. I love this. God loves you too much to let you stay in that place. And some of you have been in that pit of despair for like five, ten years. You've just learned how to function in it you create a whole world because you're like, well, this is the way the marriage is going to be. Well, man, this is the way my depression is going to be. Well, I've always had anger issues. I know I'm always snapping on the kids, but, man, this is the way it is. Man, I'm always going to be in debt. This is how it's always going to be. And this is how you are. And God is like, no, I'm sending you back out. There's still more for you to do. You're like, well, I'm, I'm of this age now. My best years are behind me. Who said that? I know it may seem like it's over, but you have much more to do. There's more work to be done. God now gives Elijah a few assignments. In fact, he answers everything that Elijah was complaining about. Elijah's complaining about Jezebel and King Ahab. God says, well, you know what? New kings will be named in Syria and Israel. You didn't know I planned to do that, did you, Elijah? See, if you would have stayed back there and waited and asked me, you would have knew. Oh, Elijah, you didn't, did you know that I was going to replace you? Yeah, I got a young man named Elisha. I want you to go anoint him. He's actually going to be taking over your spot. Oh, Elisha, you think judgment is not going to come? You think I'm just going to let them get away with all this evil? No, I let no one get away with evil. I'm setting up two kings who are going to execute my judgment on Jezebel and Ahab. Oh, and just so you know, you're not the only one left. There's 7,000 knees that I'm going to preserve that haven't worshipped Baal. Oh, Elijah, there's a whole lot that you don't know that you're not aware of, but you're over here. And you're so discouraged and depressed. But if you would talk to me and get clarity before you run 200 miles, maybe you wouldn't feel the way you feel right now. Elijah was discouraged and overwhelmed, and God already had a plan and an answer for everything that Elijah mentioned. We just didn't hear about it until verse 15. This is why, beloved, it is so vital to pray and seek the face of God when you are discouraged. And this is why it's so important to not make big decisions while you are discouraged and burned out. You know you're maxed out right now. Kids burnt you out. You ain't no place to be making big decisions about where you should move or if you should quit this job or that job right now because you are discouraged and exhausted and you don't think clearly. Have you even talked to God and asked him, about the things that you are wearied about. And I'm not talking about the kitchen table prayers, like you praying over Chick-fil-A or something. Oh, God, would you just bless and give clarity as I go on this job interview? Do you want the job or not, sister? Well, you need to fast, put some place to the side, and say, Lord, I'm begging you. If you want me to have this job, I want this job, God. It pays well. The benefits is great. But, God, I don't know who's at the job. I don't know what my boss is like. You can see things I can't see. I don't know who's going to be in the cubicle next to me. So based on everything you know, God, if you say no, I'm just going to accept it because you're wiser than I am. Two different ways to pray about it. You get what I'm saying here? And so what we find here is that Elijah makes this big decision out of fear, runs 200 miles, drops his servant off, only for God to ask him, why did you come all the way out here? Go back, and I'm fixing everything that drove you out here. But if you would have stayed back there and asked me, you would have found out. God is sending him back out. Elijah, I know you think your life is over. No, it's not. And there's some some of you sitting here this morning and listening online, and you think it's over. You dropped the ball. You weren't faithful in your marriage. You've been battling some drug or alcohol addiction. You haven't been the best mom. You haven't been the best dad. And you're like, well, God can still do more with me. Yes, he can. Well, my depression is getting the best of me. God can't use me. Well, yes, he can use you. You think God is going to be hindered by your depression? When Scripture says what can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Him using you. Don't make decisions while you're wounded and discouraged and so maybe you're here and that's the case there's more left for you to do and my question before we go is what are you doing here this morning where are you supposed to be and what are you supposed to be doing where is God sending you this morning I always tell our church God's blessings always flows through his will being where God wants me to be doing what he wants me to do. Now, maybe you're looking up and you're like, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor John, you don't know the kind of pain I'm going through. Or maybe you're here and you're like, man, I damaged some things in my life. My life is damaged right now. How is God going to bring good out of this? Well, I'm glad you asked. I wasn't always a pastor. I wasn't. I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in Philadelphia in a single-parent home. I started selling crack and crack houses when I was 12. My first time ever getting arrested and convicted of a crime, I was 13 for aggravated assault. I spent pretty much all of my teenage years in and out of juvenile detention centers. I was the kid that smelled like a pound of weed that always had a gun on him and was always getting locked up and in trouble. That she was like, stay away from him. Could count on my hand how many times I was sober when I wasn't locked up. In and out of different high schools, dropped out after the ninth grade. 18 years old, had an abortion, didn't want to be a father. Something I regret to this day. A year later, decided, well, you know what? No, I'm 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 going to do the right thing. And we're having a child and lost him doing birth. Had to bury my son. A month later, I got arrested because I went with a group of friends to rob the home of a drug dealer, and one of my friends shot and killed him, so I was in prison looking at the death penalty. Sitting there thinking about the loss of my child, all the sins that I've committed, looking at life in prison. And it was there where I came to faith in Christ, when a prison guard gave me a copy of God's Word. Why do I say that? Man, there's nothing about my life that you could look at before and be like, well, there's more to send him out to do. No, not at all. You mean you mean the drug addict? The guy who can't be a dad and man up, who'd rather have an abortion? The guy who's grieving because he just had a stillborn? You mean the convicted murderer? That guy? There's more for him, right? Brothers and sisters, if there's more for me to do, in the midst of all the pain and my foolish decisions, there's more for you to do. It doesn't matter how old you are, It doesn't matter how much you've messed up, how tough your addiction has been, and how defeated you may feel. There's still more. God sends you back out, and he's going to let you sit there in the pit of despair and think your life is over. There's still more people you got to tell about Jesus. There's more battles to be won, more victories to be won, more, yeah, I was an addict. Yeah, I was struggling, but here's how God got me through that. You know what? It took me 20 years. I wish it had took me 20 days, but he got me through it. Heaven is a world of but God stories. Now, if you can celebrate me as we close and the worship team comes up, if you can celebrate what I just said and celebrate and say, man, well, glory to God for you, Pastor John. Well, can you not celebrate and give some encouragement to yourself? I often believe that we're just too hard on ourselves, harder than God is with us. Elijah uh, arrives discouraged and depleted and he leaves encouraged and redirected to a new assignment back to the field that he ran from. And this is because Elijah has discovered that God responds to those who are discouraged. He responds by sustaining us, by speaking to us, and by sending us back out with purpose and power. Let's pray. God, I just thank you here my siblings in Christ God I'm not any better the the title of pastor won't exist one day you are the pastor but as a brother in the Lord I sit here with my siblings and God I know that it's been a weary season for many here God I know that there's some who are here God and they they feel like Elijah felt they are afraid they're running for their life they're very anxious But God, would you open their eyes to see how you are sustaining them? Yes, they're waiting on you to deliver in this one area, but God, they are not seeing how there's so many other things they take for granted that you provide for every day. And we don't got to wait to Thanksgiving to be thankful. So God, would there be a spirit of thanksgiving in the people in this room and online right now? God, may we leave here recounting how good God has been as we wait on him to take care of over here. God, you've been faithful in this last year. God, you are moving. We have sung it. Even when I can't see it, you're working, we sung. You never stop. You never stop working. God, we just sung this truth. May it be real throughout the week, that you are a way maker. You are a miracle worker. You are a promise keeper, and you work even when we can't feel it and we can't see it because you sustain. Oh, God, would you speak to us? God, we can't put our phones down for five seconds. It's always pinging with something. God, would you you help us to, to, to drown out the noise and to hear your voice? We're so easily distracted. God, would you encourage those who are listening that I am speaking to you, but are you listening? Lastly, God, I thank you that you don't leave us where we are you meet us where we are, you clean us up, you make us whole, and you send us back out. And God, there's an army of men and women in this room and online that are listening. And if you are planning to send them back out, God, would you help them to see that their best days are not behind them, but in front of them. And it doesn't matter how deep the despair may be, how strong the depression may be, or how much they may have made a wreck of a situation. God, you are still able to bring good out of it because you are the God who cares for the discouraged. So God, we thank you for this time thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, beloved, for having me with you. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information on how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.